Broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And this is kind of our comeback show. We actually recorded one last week. They're both going to be posted this week, but this might be the first one you're listening to. So it's time for football once again. We've had a Packer game played in the preseason, and it's time to get back into that football mood. And let's bring Matt in right here. And despite what happened uh, this past Friday night, uh, it just feels right, Matt, talking to you about football. I got a Sam Adams Oktoberfest sitting here on my desk. This is about the perfect time of year for me. Yeah, it was great today. It started to feel a little fall in the air today, and I was craving an Oktoberfest after work. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't have any, but yeah, it's great. I, it, I mean, it's starting to get that feel. You know, fall's coming, football's coming, and, and everything's getting back to the way it should be. Well, somebody forgot to tell the Green Bay Packers that football had started. Uh, out of the 635 points that were scored amongst the NFL teams this past weekend over the preseason, zero were contributed by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, a little bit of a, a troubling thing. I know it's preseason. The starters only played uh, one possession. But uh, you never like to see yourselves get shut out in the preseason, uh, although it was a vaunted defense in the Arizona Cardinals. But uh, I guess what were your real quick overall assessments of the team Friday night? Well, it was obviously pretty terrible. Um, it, it just kind of has the opposite feel of when you think about just what initially popped in my head was after the 2010 season going into the 2011 preseason, you know, we had high hopes, and we just killed everybody in the preseason, and mm-hmm. you just knew we were better than everybody. And I think we've both kind of had the feeling, as I'm sure a lot of other Packer fans going into this offseason, is we're losing players. I don't think we're getting any better. Other teams are getting better. And, you know, it just doesn't feel like we have just overall more talent than anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. And it clearly showed the other night, although being the first preseason game and the starters didn't play hardly at all, I take it for what it's worth, but still, I mean, that shows what your depth is right now, and I don't think we have a whole lot of it right now. Yeah, I would have to agree, and the the best example is what you brought up, 2009, 10, and 11. They torched everybody in the preseason, mm-hmm. um, and, and as we saw last year with them getting pounded by Cleveland in the preseason, it doesn't always translate into the regular season, but you certainly... Uh, with the propensity this team has for getting injured, you'd certainly like to see those backups, you know, perform a little bit better than they did on uh, Friday night. This was the first time the Packers have been shut out in the preseason since 2003, when they actually were shut out twice. One was in the Hall of Fame game, where they uh, had a three or two and a half quarter game that was ended by lightning. They lost to the Chiefs nine to zero, and the other one was a, uh, a shutout at the hands of the Tennessee Titans. I don't know if you remember this game. Uh, Brett Favre didn't even suit up, and the game had a very lengthy, I think it was around two, three hours uh, of a rain delay uh, in between, and then we had to watch uh, Doug Peterson try to complete passes to uh, guys who would be on the street a few days later in a monsoon, and they were unable to score any points. So this one might be the more dubious of the three. Yeah, absolutely, and I I mean, a lot of teams looked bad, but I, I think out of what I watched, we might have looked the worst out of everybody. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I got a chance to see some of the, the NFL Network coverage, which maybe we can talk about in a little bit. Uh, let's, I guess, start with the positives. Um, one of the bright spots that people have been talking about was uh, the play of uh, Packers rookie tackle David uh, Bakhtari. We might be pronouncing that wrong. But uh, he has been talked about as having a very good uh, game. I don't know how much you saw of that, Matt. I will admit that I do not pay attention to the offensive linemen all that much during the game unless they're getting destroyed. But uh, Rodgers seemed to have time in that one drive they had. They were able to complete that long pass to James Jones, and uh, they actually did score a touchdown, I guess, the replay showed. But uh, the first team looked pretty good, and it's maybe a, a flash of hope that they might be able to weather this storm with Brian Bulaga out. Yeah, and that's definitely the, the only real positive to take away from this, other than the fact that we might have a new kicker, but we'll we'll probably get to that later here. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the first-team offense looked very good, and it, it was nice to see Rodgers hit Jones. I know all preseason last year you and I were talking about how Rodgers just seemed a little bit off, and he was missing those throws. Mm-hmm. So the first chance he gets one right off you know, right off the bench, right into the first preseason game, and he nails one right on the head. Um, so that was awesome to see. Mm-hmm. And I actually was kind of paying a little bit of attention to, to Bathkari and just the – the whole offensive line situation overall, I think, too, especially more after that first series as well, because, I mean, what else was there to focus on on offense when <laughs> um, when Graham Harrell was in the game? So, yeah, I thought he was impressive, and he did well. I mean, good enough, at least. Arizona's got a pretty good front seven, so that's mm-hmm. a pretty good sign. Um, again, it's one preseason game, so that means absolutely nothing. I, but I guess you got to at least hope that... Uh, you know, we can plug him in here, and it's not going to be a complete sieve. I know a lot of people like Bulaga, but you know he's not a Pro Bowler anyway, so it's not it's it's a tough loss to swallow. But I mean, this is a guy that's been often injured, and and when he's been in there, hasn't been exactly an elite level tackle. So mm-hmm. um, I think if Bakhtari can come in here and play well, I, I don't think we're going to be missing a whole lot. Yeah, and I gotta agree with that. Um, you know, Brian Bulag is one of those players. He feels. I don't want to put him in the Darren College level, but he feels like that kind of player. Where Just you, a steady guy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's a steady guy, but at the same time feels always a little bit like a liability. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ted Thompson has pretty much filled out his offensive line with several of those guys every year that he's been here. Um, if there's ever a weakness in, in Ted's methods, it seems to reveal itself in offensive linemen. But yeah, I mean, it was it was good, and the pass protection seemed pretty good, other than that uh, Graham Harrell strip sack. Uh, transitioning though to one of the more negative parts, that running game still didn't seem all that much improved. And granted, it's one game, but your two yards per carry leaders was Vince Young with two rushes for 12 yards, and Graham Harrell with one rush for seven. Uh, James Starks had a 3.2 yard average on 12 carries, and Alex Green had a 2.3 yard uh, carry uh, per carry average on seven attempts, and Jonathan Franklin carried the ball six times for 14 yards. Uh, so obviously they tried to run, and I know you have a lot of different players in there and some young guys and some guys recovering from injury, but uh, if you're going to overreact to something after one game, I would say that uh, besides Graham Harrell, which we'll get to, the running game, uh, even without Eddie Lacy, still looked pretty darn pitiful. Right, and I think that's what I was. If you, uh, if this uh, podcast is up before the one we've already recorded here, then I, then this will be brand new information. But <laughs> that was this is one thing that we talked about on that other podcast here that I felt like Eddie Lacy was really the only option for this team this year because I feel like he's the only guy who can make himself space. Mm-hmm. You know, Starks and Green and 
and you know even Franklin, I feel like these are guys that are going to at least have to catch some blocks and get some space. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lacey can at least pound forward. Yeah. Uh, the the holes aren't going to be big, so I mean we need a guy like Lacey in there, and I feel like once he starts getting some carries and gets healthy, it it could be a different story. I mean it's not going to be an easy road for him this year, but I think if anybody can do it, it's the one guy who wasn't playing. So maybe that's a positive to take from it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I think he definitely. I mean, you want to think James Starks can be that kind of guy, but he never can seem to do it. Um, maybe that 2010 playoffs was like the biggest tease of all time mm-hmm. when, you know, in the Philadelphia game and for the first two quarters of the Bears game, he ran like Eric Dickerson at times, right. and then all of a sudden he just can't even do anything for the rest of the games. But, yeah, I hope Lacey can stay healthy. I'm worried that his body type and his run style, he's going to always be a little bit banged up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, it's too early to to tell any of that. Um, and the one thing I guess I did, they only played one drive on offense, but it's basically the biggest thing about this run game. And I don't know if I mentioned that in the in the other podcast that we have recorded, but you saw a little bit of it in the red zone, and maybe it had something to do with Lacey not being there. But you still get the feeling that even though they drafted two of the top three running backs in last year's draft, that Rodgers and McCarthy still don't trust the running game when they need it. And I know they were one of those weird kind of goal-to-go situations at around the five where there never is really any great play calls, but it just still feels like, didn't they throw two or three times with first and goal to go? And I know they're just trying new things out, but I'm almost wondering that you could have Eddie Lacy back there, or you can have Jonathan Franklin back there, and they can have a monster preseason, or they can be great in the first couple of halves. I still, I will believe it when I see it, that they're committed to the run, when on third down and one, or fourth down and one, in the fourth quarter of a game they're trailing, that they actually run the ball out of a run formation. Mm-hmm. And not yeah, and to John Coons plowing into the back of Josh Sitton. Yeah, and that's that's not something that's going to change overnight. I don't think they're going to come in week one and start doing that. I think they're definitely going to need somebody to prove that they can actually convert those. Because mm-hmm. really, I'm, you and I hate the John Kuhn plow into the line <laughs> play, but it's the only thing that's worked at least like half the time for them, too. You know, it's not that they try it a whole lot, but mm-hmm. I just don't think they feel like they have any other options. As frustrating as yeah. it is sometimes to watch. So, But how many times have they tried other things, though? I mean, right. I'd be curious to see... When was the last time on fourth down and one that they ran out of the I formation in a power run play? I mean, Amon Green might have been the ball carrier the last time they tried that. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice to see, but again, I, I don't know, just, just absolutely no confidence, and that's yeah. what I'm saying is I'm, I'm hoping that can change if somebody can just show that they can do it. But yeah, they have to try it first, like you're saying, in order to give anybody a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Hopefully Eddie Lacy is that guy, and I, I think you're right, Matt, that if if somebody's going to be that guy, it's it's going to have to be Eddie Lacy because Franklin and Alex Green don't seem to be those kind of backs, and I'm not sure what kind of back James Starks is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to stay on the negatives, let's continue. I guess instead of uh, separating this into negatives and positives, we'll separate this into um, uh, offense and defense, and Definitely the most apparent of weaknesses on the offense, 
was the backup quarterback situation uh, and in Graham Harrell, who had another rough outing. Uh, if you remember to the preseason last year, he had uh, a very rough preseason up until that final game when he performed all right. And then uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he made it in any other regular season. Oh, I'm sure he played in that Tennessee game last year when they were up 5-7. Yeah, I think he fumbled right away, if I remember correct. Well, the, the most famous play that he's ever been in is the when we're leading the Saints uh, 21-17, and he comes in on the goal line after Rodgers gets poked oh, in the yeah. eye and trips on his own feet and fumbles. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, obviously... That doesn't give you any confidence, and then this week uh, he didn't do anything to change that opinion. He was 12 of 19 for 76 yards, so that's, I, I, I don't have a calculator here, but that's a pretty pitiful yards per attempt. Uh, oh, I do have the yards per attempt here. That's four yards per attempt, which is brutal. That's like Oakfield Oaks style right there. Uh, and he had an interception, and he was also strip-sacked. And B.J. Coleman was just as pitiful. Two for seven for 15 yards um, with, uh, uh, so that's a 2.1 yard per attempt. So uh, Vince Young only had one completion for seven yards. But I don't know about you, Matt, and maybe we can talk about Graham first, but after one preseason game, there's no doubt in my mind who needs to be the backup quarterback of this team. Oh, absolutely. And I wouldn't be too surprised. Well, I think at least one of those other two will be gone. I think that goes without saying, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if both were gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you know at this point where you, what you're getting from Graham Harrell. I mean, he's obviously not going to be a starting-type caliber quarterback, and I, he's proven that I don't think he can even handle a, the backup spot. I mean, you don't want that guy in a game. He's the no. worst. He might be, you know, he might be one of the worst quarterbacks you see all preseason long, and, and B.J. Coleman actually might be worse. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to have somebody who needs to come into a game if Rodgers goes down... Obviously, you trust Vince Young, a guy who's done it, and you know he might be not great at times, but he's at least been in games and he's had flashes of flashes of being good. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know Graham Harrell and B.J. Coleman, we've seen pretty much nothing but just ineptitude. So I, I think you're right. As soon as they signed Vince Young, I figured he was going to be the number two, maybe not throughout the preseason, but you know eventually when the season rolls around. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Graham Harrell's got to go. I don't see how you keep him on the roster. Yeah, I have to agree, and I know last year we would talk about hypothetical scenarios in which Aaron Rodgers is, you know, doomsday out for the season that, well, and the Packers would be lucky to win five games, or they'll, they'll be, if they go from a Super Bowl contender or a fringe Super Bowl contender to a 4-12 and team if Graham Harrell plays, after seeing him the other night, I don't know if I can confidently say they win a game if Graham Harrell has to play 16. Yeah, I, that might be a little bit exaggerating, but it, the four might be a stretch now. Um, I mean, this team is just not talented enough overall to do it with a guy like that playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I agree that it, it's hard to believe a team would go from you know where we're seeing eleven to ten wins with Aaron Rodgers down to maybe a couple without him. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I think with Vince Young as your number two, if he had to play, I would confidently say that they could at least be a little closer to five hundred. I think. Oh yeah. Um. But, yeah, I mean, if you put Graham Harrell or B.J. Coleman in there, I, I would agree. I mean, this team would be one of the worst in the league, I think, overall talent-wise, and then without a quarterback. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely have to agree with that. I think that they are a reflection of the 2010-era Colts, mm-hmm. where if they, you know, we obviously saw what happened once they lost Peyton Manning. They were yep. pitiful. And I think the Packers are every bit in the same boat as that. 
And uh, I guess we could talk about Vince Young a little bit since he was signed um, recently and he, he didn't even make the cut of the other podcast that uh, from a couple weeks ago that we're going to post. Uh, when I, they first signed Vince Young, I, it was a little bit of a head-scratcher to me, honestly, because I thought that uh, he's not a very accurate passer, and that's kind of a lot what the Packers do. Uh, then I consulted his stats, and his most recent season where he got major playing time was in 2010. He had eight starts, and he had a 98 quarterback rating. He had <laughs> ten touchdowns, three picks, actually played really well. And seeing him on... Uh, Friday, I know he didn't get a chance to do a lot, but, I mean, you just saw the difference in his confidence level. He just is comfortable being on the field, which is one of the things we always used to say about Matt Flynn, and you certainly could say about some of the other backups of the Packers that have been successful, and I think that's kind of the dividing line, whereas Doug Peterson always looked terrified when he was out there, and that's kind of what Graham Harrell looks like. Brian Brom... Uh, you know, he, he looked completely clueless and horrified that he actually had to be in the game, whereas Matt <laughs> Flynn, as young as he was, he was always poised. And the same thing for guys like Hasselbeck and you're and I, one of our favorite guys who never, I still feel didn't get a fair shot, uh, in Craig Nall, uh, was always kind of that way too. And Vince Young is another one of those guys where he doesn't play for years, but when he gets in there, he's been there before to steal a cliche. And he just looks like he he's confident that what he's going to do is going to work. And so I think Vince Young can work as our backup quarterback, uh, even just seeing him a little bit the other night. Oh, yeah, and I was so pumped when I heard this signing. I mean, you know that I've been a huge Vince Young fan since mm-hmm. he was at Texas. And yeah. I've got his, uh, I think it's the 05 Rose Bowl, I've got mm-hmm. that on DVD. And I just, I loved watching him play back in Texas. And then when he got drafted, I was watching all the the Titans games when we had Sunday ticket back then and we were mm-hmm. both just super you know excited to watch him play for Tennessee in his rookie year too. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was awesome to watch and so I I know he's a couple of years removed from from being a starter and actually a little longer than that. He was a backup for Tennessee in 2010, correct? And Yeah, they split a, time. I think that was when they for some reason couldn't decide if it was him or Kerry Collins. I think Rusty Smith got a start in there. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, and then he ended up getting his contract with Philly because of that. I mm-hmm. signed a pretty good backup deal, and then didn't really get a chance. And when he played, wasn't great. But I, I mean, this is about as good as you can do for just reaching out of the market for somebody who's just sitting there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm very excited about the signing. Uh, you know, maybe not a great number two, but hey, I I'm happy to see him go in there if Rodgers goes down. I mean, he's as good of a chance as we've got right now with anybody else who's available or with anybody else on our roster. He's the guy. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, they always, Mark Brunel's doing the Jaguars preseason game, so I guess if you want, you know, you can go get him if you want to go get a blast from the past. He's got to be almost 50. He was probably a backup still last year, wasn't he, I think? Um, I think two years ago. And okay. I don't think he's quite 50, but he's got to be like, uh, what, maybe a year younger than Favre or the same age as Favre. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to do Mark Brunel, you may as well just go get Brett Favre. Yep. Uh, but let's not get into that. Um, and I guess we can touch on the defense a little bit. Uh, I heard people say, or I actually read a report with the stats to prove it, that Devon House had a pretty bad game. He gave up that 40-yard touchdown uh, to Carson Palmer, who's actually throwing the ball like it isn't a medicine ball, like he did when he was uh, playing for the Raiders. So maybe they have a little bit of a shot to be a tad better uh, on offense with Arizona. But uh, the defense as a whole, I, I think, other than maybe that one long drive, did pretty well, and 
I mean, I know they got shut out and they looked pretty pitiful, but um, they forced a lot of field goals. The, the second team clamped down, and I guess if you say they make the field goals, they would have lost, what, 26 or 7 to nothing. Right. Uh, but uh, I thought there was some, some young guys that were hustling out there, and, uh, you know, the guy who people have been curious about, Johnny Jolly, didn't look all that bad either and makes made me a little bit... Uh, uh, angry that we didn't get to see his best years because he was busy flushing them down the toilet. Yeah, and I've I've been hearing some good things about Jolly too from camp that he's been looking really strong. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was a, a pretty heavy contributor during the regular season as well. I mean, we've got a lot of depth there actually. No really outstanding players at this point, but mm-hmm. a lot of guys. But I'd, I'd expect to see him on the field. But yeah, I mean the Cardinals might not be a good team to gauge yourself against, mm-hmm. but. You know, they did look pretty decent, and as far as Packers' standards go, they looked good. <laughs> so, you know, the depth is, you know, we'll see what it's like. We'll, I mean, there's even so many holes that we don't know who the starters are for sure yet at this point. So, um, you know, just a real small sample, I think. So it's kind of hard to really get a strong gauge. Hopefully for games two and three here, we'll um, kind of see a little bit more of what we're actually going to look like now that the starters will play more than, you know, just a couple of series on defense. Yeah, um, and, and uh, just thinking about you know the defense and thinking about things you want to see, I guess that can kind of transition us into uh, into the next topic that I have here, and that's it feels like a broken record, but injuries once again uh, a problem for the Packers. Both Jordy Nelson and probably Tremont Williams are going to miss the entire preseason uh, with injuries. Eddie Lacy is banged up. Obviously, Brian Bulaga already hurt. I just read here that uh, Daton Jones uh, is only going to miss a couple of days of practice. Might even play on Saturday. I did see when I when I typed him into Google here. The second story says on Packers.com, so may or may not be a little biased. Daton Jones one snap was impressive, uh, according <laughs> to them. So I didn't click on the story. So I don't know. It sounds a little bit dubious to me. But once again, a lot of injury problems for the Packers and. Uh, the thing is, with this year, it seems league-wide as well. So I, I don't know if... I guess I've run out of material on injuries, but I I thought it, we'd have an opportunity here to, to see what you thought about it, Matt. Well, that's one thing that kind of drives me nuts a little bit, I'll be honest here. It seems like every single preseason, it's the, sa- the same topic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, injuries are up this year. And it's like, no, they're not. Not at all. They're, it's the same as it is every year. It, I mean, it's always kind of a shock to the system when you see starters going down. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jer- Jeremy Macklin, Pitta, you know, a couple other guys have gone down. Uh, Jamal Charles sprains his foot. Yep. But, I mean, this is not out of the ordinary at all. And you hear these analysts talk about how, man, it must be because there's not as much contact in practice. No, if you rewind to 10 years from, you know, back from now, it's the same storyline every offseason. Yeah. Um, and even in terms of the Packers go, I mean, yeah, that's some big names. You hate to lose Tremont Williams and Jordy Nelson and even a starter like Bulaga, but this has happened to us every year since we've been Packer fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, if we're not losing Aaron Rodgers and we're not losing Clay Matthews, it, you could maybe consider it a win because yeah. uh, you're, you're getting out alive without a major injury. So, you know, I think I think this is every year, and I think every year people say, man, what's going on? But, you know, injuries are going to happen no matter what. If you have contact, if you have no contact. I mean, mm-hmm. Kevin Cobb got hurt doing what he did he fall down a stair or something like that, too? I think so. Or running so, off the practice field or something like yeah. that. So, I mean, they're going to happen no matter what you do. And you can blame whatever you want to blame, but, I mean, it's football. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really, in terms, in the large scale of things, there have been no major, major injuries yet in the NFL this offseason. Mm-hmm. And I know we're only one preseason game in coming up on the second here. 
But, uh, you know, so far, I really don't think it's been as bad even as maybe last year. Yeah, and I, I would agree, and it's it's frustrating when it happens to your team, and mm-hmm. when Bulaga got hurt, and then Jordy got hurt, and then Tremont Williams got hurt, I'm like, whoa, here we go again, and then I, I looked up one of the master lists online of people hurt, and the Packers are at the same spot everybody's at as far yeah. as injuries, and I think it just happens when you have 80 guys in camp, and you're practicing twice a week, or twice a day, and like you said, in the past, this was still happening. You had guys like Kajana Carter, the first pick in the draft, blowing out his knee in the first preseason game. Joe Montana blowing out his elbow in the training camp and not playing for two years. I mean, this is nothing new. And I know we have our favorites, and it, we like everybody, and we want to see everybody at their best. If this was a Madden season, you'd want to turn the injuries off so you could actually see who's the best. But 16 teams... Start, had their starting quarterback start all 16 games last year. So, and, and that's higher than ever. That's tied with like 2009, I think, for the highest total ever. So until that changes, I don't think people are going to care very much. And a lot of those other 16 were probably due to the quarterbacks they had chosen being ineffective as opposed to injuries. So I think as long as you're Peyton Manning's, you're Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees, and, uh, uh, Tom Brady and even your guys like Eli and Cam Newton, as long as they're playing 16 games, uh, with all due respect to those injured guys, who cares? Right. I mean, we proved it in two, 2010. That's a perfect example. I mean, we lost all these guys that we thought were huge contributors and that we had no chance without, but hey, we still had Aaron Rodgers, so we still had a chance, and, and you, we ended up winning it all. So mm-hmm. I think if, if the NFL can avoid those major, major injuries, which we really haven't seen lately, so hopefully we're not jinxing anything, <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, it doesn't affect the product too much overall. I don't think. No, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, let's just, we've got a couple other topics here before we get to a what if segment that's been submitted by a couple of our uh, listeners. Uh, NFL Network. This is the first time I've had NFL Network available since probably the summer of '07, um, when we had Directv, and uh, I just got NFL Network in the middle of last season on Time Warner Cable, and I've been enjoying the marathon of preseason games. Uh, It's fun to see everything, and I don't know how many you have watched, Matt, but I've watched a number of them, and I guess just a couple of comments that I had on on what I've seen so far, and then maybe you can share several of yours as well if you you have any. Um, The two things I will point out, one... I gave them a chance. I T-voted it because it was on at like 6 in the morning. But I had to see the Jacksonville Jaguars uniforms. And and I had to give them an honest shot. And I will admit that they weren't quite as bad as I feared. But they're still horrendous. They're, they're so bad looking. I don't know what the heck the people at Nike are thinking when they're designing these kind of uniforms. They're disgusting. I hope Jacksonville stinks for the rest of time or until they go back to like their 1996 unis because they're gross and they're stupid and whoever frickin' drew those up should be fired. Um, and also, the best thing about the preseason coverage, not that football's back, but that we get to get a little snapshot of the local culture of each one of these places... I was watching the Indianapolis Colts-Bills game, and they showed two kids coming back from break, and the announcer goes, Go on down to your local convenience store and get a Wix pie, the official pie of the Colts! And just <laughs> a lot of those kind of moments which make uh, the preseason so much fun. 
Yeah, and I I haven't gotten my NFL Network yet with uh, Charter. Oh. I have to pay an extra ten bucks a month for it, so I wait till right before I need it. When I should probably get on that <laughs> soon, though. Um, but I haven't watched the uh, the NFL Network at all yet, so I've only really seen the Hall of Fame game and the Packer game. Okay. Um, so I did not get a chance to see the Jaguars Unis yet. So I'm just going to be probably shocked week one and probably vomit or something oh, when I, when so I see them in the regular season. Um, I did see the Dolphins Unis, and I, we talked a little bit about those. What do you think about those ones? I saw well, and that's kind of another reason why I taped that Jaguar game because it had the Dolphins, and I figured they'd be in their road unis after having seen their oh, home sure. unis. I like their home uniforms. I I don't know. I think I like them better than the unis they've been wearing. I kind of wish they would have gone back to like the early '90s lighter oh, yeah. green merino jerseys, not the ones they had like towards the end of Marino's career with the huge shadow numbers and stuff, but like the early 90s one with kind of the sea green. Uh, and these are closer to that. So I will say the home unis are cool. The road unis, the all-white, are just as boring and stupid as their their previous ones. And those are the ones they wear like 13 games a year. Right. Uh, so I thought those were were decent. Uh, I hope they wear their the, the new Nike. If Nike's going to do anything, I hope they give them a lighter material so they wear their home unis more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree. I didn't get to see the road ones yet, but I always kind of wish the Dolphins would go more towards like a regular like hurricane green kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. The Hurricanes uniforms are so cool, and the Dolphins are just so nasty with that teal. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I think they're a little less maybe intimidating than they were, but they never were you know, real <laughs> yeah, threatening anyways. So I, the I, it's not a step down, not a step up to me. But um, but yeah, other than that, I I didn't see Jacksonville's and I didn't see the Dolphins road, so it'll be kind of nice to see when the regular season rolls around, see some new unis, and I think the Browns will be next year getting new unis, um, and then the Vikings are soon as well, if they haven't already, aren't they? Yeah, they have, I, I forgot about them, their jerseys are really, really purple, <laughs> like, I, I don't even know what to describe them, they're almost like... The violet, like the flower violet huh. purple. They are okay. super purple, like even more purple than the, um, I'm trying to think, like the, kind of like when they got a little bit of a lighter shade of purple towards the end of their old uniforms, like around like 2004. Okay. They're like super purple. You're like, not quite as bad as like the little Valentine candies, but, <laughs> but getting closer to that than the dark purple that they've been having. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I really liked those uh, throwbacks they wore last year, and those are almost have a little bit more blue in them, so the the new ones aren't even close to that then, huh? The, well, I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I'm not a whatever a color specialist is, but it seems brighter. Like, it's a brighter shade of purple than the kind of deep purple they've been having. Okay. It, it kind of took me aback because I expected more, and, and all the pictures I had seen, they looked more like their throwbacks. Right, that's what I was hoping, yeah. These are really... And, and I don't know if I had my TV setting weird or something, but they just looked <laughs> really, really purple. Okay. And and they don't have a lot of trimming on them, so they kind of almost look like practice jerseys at first. Huh. All right, and the last topic I had before we get to our what-if segment is I heard on the radio this morning, and I don't know if it was today, I, I guess I didn't catch that, but Ryan Longwell is retiring, and he's going to retire as a Green Bay Packer. And on a local popular radio station up in the Fox Valley, Green Bay area, um, one of the radio uh, people, personalities, was very upset at Ryan Longwell coming in because he had made a comment when he he uh, went to the Minnesota Vikings that he uh, was kind of critical of Green Bay. And it was that 
that standard comment that anybody has about Green Bay of there's nothing to do here, and unless you like eating that Applebee's, there's really no no nightlife or whatever. And she thought that this was a reason why they shouldn't have let him retire. And I guess I don't really know uh, if I agree with that, but I was kind of taken aback because if you look at the the years, he played for the Packers for nine years, and he played for Minnesota for, what, seven? I mean, so I guess he could have went either way, but maybe not having heard this story, what is your reaction to Longwell retiring as a Packer? Well, I think it's probably where he belongs. I, I mean, he, I guess he made just as deep a runs with the Vikings as he ever did with the Packers. So I, I guess you kind of go wherever you feel, you know, you have the most fond memories. So, I mean, he played with Brett Favre here his whole time here, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess uh, I don't have a real strong opinion on it. I mean, I towards this last few years here in Green Bay, I wasn't the biggest fan. He seemed to miss a lot of big field goals for us. But, I mean, he was our steady kicker for nine years. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a little bit silly when people retire for a team because it's pretty much meaningless. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he... I mean, do you think he'll be a Packer Hall of Famer? I mean, potentially, I think, but... Well, Chris Jackie just went in this year, so he has to be, because he's yeah. the lead, the all-time leader in scoring. I mean, he's passed Don Hudson in scoring, so I would think he would have to be. Yeah, but I, I guess it does seem right. I mean, we had the lasting image of him in a Vikings jersey, but, I mean, he was a Packer for a long time, so I, I guess it doesn't surprise me too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess when you said he went as deep with the Vikings... Uh, He's best remembered for those Sherman era teams, but he his first year was uh, ninety seven, so he played mm-hmm. on that Super Bowl thirty two uh, loser. Okay, I guess I did forget that then. But uh, I guess Longwell's one of those guys that he, he's I, I I guess he was good, but he was very frustrating as a kicker a lot of times. I thought he he had a good career. He I think he, they said he is thirteenth all time on the the scoring list, which is very impressive. But when I think of Ryan Longwell, without fail, the first thing I think about him is the 2003 wildcard win over Seattle. And, of course, that's famous for the Al Harris pick six in overtime with the we want the ball, we're going to score Hasselbeck comment. But at the end of regulation, Favre drove them down uh, pretty, I mean, it was it was a long kick, but he drove them within Longwell's range. And they showed, it was when they first started using that low Fox angle for the field goals. And he is booting this. And I remember watching it. I'm like three inches from the screen. And he just nails it, and it's dead center. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's over. We're going to the next round. And then the freaking thing dies at, like, the midpoint of the end zone. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you have to be kidding me. And then that's when I was always kind of critical of him saying that, he might miss extra points short and stuff like that, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he seemed to really – It's it was weird how it seemed like he seemed to gain some leg back when he went to Minnesota. Because mm. I think if I remember right, the week after that against Philly, too, he did the same thing. I think it was a longer field goal. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, at that point, we're just like, there's no way. This thing's a 50-yarder. He can't get it there. <laughs> I mean, like, consistently, he couldn't hit a 50-yarder. And as soon as he goes to Minnesota, he's drilling, like, 55, 56. So, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. This is the HGH era. Eric. Maybe he was <laughs> kickers taking steroids. Kickers but, taking steroids. Yeah, who knows? But, uh, I don't know. He's uh, uh, he he was. You're right. He was frustrating. But I think he's a pretty big part of our uh, our Sherman era Packers, especially. Yeah, which I always feel deserve a little bit more respect than they get. So you know, hail to the Sherman era. Let Ryan Longwell <laughs> retire as a Packer. Who doesn't like uh, getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs after a grueling division title win? 
Okay, with that, we're going to move on to What If. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if? And that signals the beginning of What If, where we take a topic from Packers history, we change it, and then we debate the ramifications. And this topic was submitted by Nathan Shaw, one of our uh, listeners, and I believe it was also submitted by one of our other listeners a few months ago, uh, perhaps, and so if, if we uh, forgot to credit you, we apologize, but uh, we did uh, see that. But Nathan did a great job of giving us a pre-made intro. We've actually not been doing intros as much lately, uh, but Nathan has provided us one, so I'll read it right here. The Packers had entered the 2007 season with low expectations. They finished 8-8, eight and eight, and Brett Favre was coming off what might have been his worst season besides 2005. However, the Packers surprised the NFL with a talent-filled roster, a 13-3 record, and the NFC North crown. Brett Favre threw for over 4,100 yards, 28 touchdowns, and completed 67% of his passes. The Packers got the number two seed for the playoffs and played the Seattle Seahawks on January 12th, and the Packers routed Seattle 42-20 to at a snowy Lambeau field to advance to their first NFC Championship game in over 10 years. The only team standing in the way was the 10-6 New York Giants. As we know, the Packers' offense was not the same that day, and no one could ever cover Plexico Burris. The game was tied at 20 in overtime, when on 2nd and 8, Brett made a bad throw to Driver, which was picked off by Corey Webster, the last Favre pass as a Packer. It was converted into a 67-yard Lawrence Tynes field goal, and the Packers' magical 2007 season was over. But what if Brett Favre hadn't thrown that interception? How would Aaron Rodgers' future change? Would Brett Favre have retired permanently? What if the Packers had beaten the New York Giants to advance to the Super Bowl in 2007? Uh, so, Nate, I took a little bit of a artistic licensing with that uh, <laughs> review to make it for me to be able to read in that uh, voice there, but you did a phenomenal job in giving us a great intro so we didn't have to uh, try to write it ourselves. And um, sorry for stumbling over some of it. But, uh, Matt, uh, obviously uh, Nathan did a great job of uh, setting up the backstory for us. Would you want to start on this one? I guess the the things we want to maybe talk about is if Brett Favre's, uh, the, the two things, if Brett Favre's retirement saga of the summer of 2008 would have been any different. And I guess the other one that's we haven't been able to talk about in any of our what-ifs was if the Packers would have beaten the Giants in 07, do you think they could have beaten the New England Patriots? Okay, well, I'll start out with the, the quick and easy one here, and I'm going to start with the Brett Favre portion of it, uh, because I think this answer is pretty easy, at least in my eyes here. I think if, if we do go on beating the New England Patriots, um, I think Brett Favre retires, and I don't think he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never know with him. It's very possible that the exact same thing would have happened. You know, he would have said, I'm retiring if I win, and then decided he wanted to play more. So maybe it does happen again. And, you know, maybe if we win, maybe we do take him back no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I think overall, I think whether when if we get to the Super Bowl, we lose or win, I think the scenario is very similar to what it actually ended up being. Um, and I think that if we win the Super Bowl or if we lose the Super Bowl, you know, I think it really plays out the same. Um, and at the very least, he just stays retired and never tries to come back. So mm-hmm. I don't see a scenario here, whether we win or lose the Super Bowl, where he says immediately, you know, I'm coming back right away. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of the Brett Favre portion, and I'll, I'll let you get to what you think on at least this part of it, but I think it stays very similar. Um, and if anything were to change, he's just retired permanently. Yeah, and I guess this is a little bit contingent on what we think would happen in the Super yeah. Bowl, but I, I tend to agree with you, although if they beat New England, it does kind of lend itself to the John Elway scenario, where everybody figured Elway would, re- would retire if he ever won, but then he kind of comes to the awakening that this is the best team I've ever played on, sure. why not try one more time? And perhaps that happens, but let's say he does retire... Um, after winning the Super Bowl, and that kind of is a question that came to mind when you were uh, talking uh, with your scenario. If Brett Favre is not around in 2009, that changes everything for the 2009 Packers. I mean, the 2009 Packers might be a 13-3 and team if Brett Favre is not a Minnesota Viking, and they are either with home field advantage or the number two seed uh, in in the conference in 2009, is it possible that they could have won a championship in 09 if they also would have won it in 07? Sure. I mean, I, I guess I don't I don't think that it's that big of a difference because I think that uh, with Rodgers on the team in 09, I mean, he was pretty darn good. I don't know if you're really taking much of a step up with Brett. Really, do you? No, I'm not saying if Brett was a Packer. I'm saying if Brett oh, okay. was gone. Just completely gone. Yeah, okay. because then all of a sudden the Vikings are just a, a doormat with... Tavares Jackson with the Packers 09 team from a statistical standpoint was one of, and, and I know obviously this doesn't make any sense, but from a statistics standpoint, uh, based upon a nerd study I did on my own time that someday I'll use to better uh, use than it's been right now, the 09 Packers are one of the top five teams statistically in franchise history, if that makes any sense. Eric, that team's not winning a Super Bowl, though. I, I mean, they couldn't stop the Cardinals. I mean, if they would have ran into the Saints or, you know, New England in 09 or even, or, you know, whoever else they would have ran into, there's no way with Dom Capers and the way that that defense was playing that they had a shot. Not at I, home? What if they would have played the Saints at home? No. They, <laughs> I, I'm, that offense was so much better than Arizona's, and they'd already lost to the Saints earlier that year, didn't they? Uh, no, they lost them, them to the year prior. Okay. They, they got slaughtered in the Superdome. Yeah, that's the game I was thinking about. But I, I just think that, um, I mean, that was one year before the Packers were ready to do it. I think no matter what, even if they have a couple more wins, they get home field. I, I still don't see any way that that same team that played Arizona that day would come out and, and win at least three <laughs> straight games and, and somehow find a way to win a Super Bowl. I think it was just one year before they were ready. Well, having said that, According to the stats, and I did it based on percentages uh, exceeding the league average, so how much, like for instance, the 07 Patriots for their offense, instead of getting credit for 589 points, they get credit for 62% more points than the league average. So that's how I calculated that. Um, The Packers in 09 are one of the best teams in franchise history, and because the stats revealed that, 
I am not trusting my data, and that's why I haven't used it, <laughs> because I, that sounds ridiculous. Um, I, I agree with you. That team was uh, – they must have beat up on Seattle a lot to inflate their stats, because when they played against Ben Roethlisberger and Carson, even Carson Palmer, they got shredded. So I agree with you that, you know, that's a what-if for another day. But I guess let's talk about maybe what affects all these scenarios we just talked about. Do they beat the 07 Patriots? And this one I'm completely confident in. Uh, the, the stats uh, reflect this, that had the Patriots won the Super Bowl that year, they would have been undisputed the best team of the Super Bowl era and perhaps the best team of all time. And so the Giants were able to beat them, so perhaps that clouds our judgment a little bit, but what about the Packers? Could they have beaten the Patriots? And I am actually really torn on this, and I've been thinking about it for a little while here, but... It's such a tough one. I, I mean, I think New England was definitely the better team, but I really think that the only reason that New York was able to do what they did is because of their great pass rush. And I just think with, um, you know, we I think our offense was better than New York's was that year. We probably could have put a few more points on the board, mm-hmm. but there's no way we hold New England's offense to what they held New England's offense to. I mean, they got a ton of pressure on Brady. Um, they forced him into some mistakes and bad throws, and there's no way with our defense – that, that I think we could have done that. I, I just don't think it was as good of a matchup as New York had. I mean, we saw at the end of the regular season those two teams played and how well New York matched up, even though they lost that one. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just don't think it's the same story for the Packers. So it, as much as I think it would have been another very good game, much like New York-New England was, I think ours would just have been a little bit more high scoring. I just don't think we were as good of a matchup as New York was. And, um, you know, it would have been nice to see Brady and Favre in a Super Bowl duel it out but uh, I think that New England and Brady probably would have finished off the, the perfect season had they gotten to play us. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. That's also a really, really tough one for me to... Uh, man, I think part of it comes from me not trusting Brett, so mm-hmm. I guess I don't know if he would have been able to uh, hold up his end of the bargain, but uh, I'm just checking the stats here, and like you said, the Packers' defense was actually better than the New York Giants was that year in uh, points allowed, but their defense uh, under, who was the coordinator then, uh, was it Bob Sanders? Bob Sanders, yeah. Their defense was always kind of based around the secondary, where we had a good, solid secondary, and then a lot of our sacks would be coverage sacks, or, you know, if Aaron Campman decided to have a good game, they'd have more sacks there. But I just looking it up, the Packers had a much better defense overall as far as points allowed and yardage allowed, but they only had 36 sacks. The Giants had 52. So there's clearly a difference in that. I agree with you. If they would have just sat back and tried to count on uh, Al Harris, who was still a Pro Bowler, Charles Woodson, who was, despite not having great stats, was having one of the best years of his life that year, and Tremont Williams, who was kind of the first year that he came into his own, Nick Collins was was still there. Expecting those guys to be able to cover these guys all day it just seems ridiculous to me. We've seen in the past, Al Harris, who on by 07 was still really good, but kind of on the back end of his, his greatness, Randy Moss playing a younger, faster Al Harris used to whoop him, and that was Randy Moss' best year of his life. Part of me wonders, I think the Packers would have lost that game. They might have lost by 10 points. They might have lost by 14 points. I think the Patriots would have beat the Packers, and I can't envision a scenario in my head outside of Tom Brady getting injured in which the Packers win that game. And I think Patriots fans might like this scenario, and um, 
I, I guess that's the big thing. The other one, I guess, just having thought of it now, if you take away Favre losing on an interception, that might change 2008 a lot because I think McCarthy was done with Favre after Corey yeah. Webster caught that pass. I don't. I think Favre could have said, I will play for negative $3 million this year, and <laughs> I think he was done after that interception. So maybe that changes everything, but I don't want to get back into that. Uh, I agree with you. There's no way that they beat New England. So I guess that's what if for this topic. Uh, we want to thank Nathan Shaw for providing that. If you got any other ideas, Nathan, or anybody else, you can send us an email at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can write it on our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook, or you can comment on this podcast on our Podbean page, Green Gold Forever, that's the number four, dot podbean.com, or you can tweet it at us, Green Gold Forever, same as the Podbean page. Next up for the Packers, they are headed to St. Louis to play the Rams with Sam Bradford. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of three-yard passes on third and nine, and it'll be uh, an exciting time. Uh, although I heard from my good pal Bernie Kozar that their wide receivers are horrible. Uh, Kellen Clemens is the worst. And um, did you hear about that controversy at all? I did not. Okay, uh, what happened was Bernie Kozar in his color commentary for the regional Cleveland Browns coverage of the Rams-Browns game last week, he said that the Rams have horrible receivers, and when the other commentator tried to play it off, he's like, well, what happens if one of their parents are listening to the broadcast? He's like, they should be embarrassed, <laughs> said Bernie. <laughs> and he said... Um, uh, Kellen Clemens, he hated watching Kellen Clemens, and yeah, I think he said some line like, it's on YouTube, but some line like, uh, they said he, Kellen Clemens provided an autograph for the Pope, and he said, forgive me father, for I have sinned, obviously, because I have to watch Kellen Clemens play quarterback for a whole quarter, <laughs> and uh, then they asked him later, and he's like, that was nice what he did for the Pope, I'm sure he's a real nice guy, but he can't play quarterback in the NFL. And uh, Jeff Fisher got all upset and called Bernie unprofessional, and I think the Browns said something to him. But um, I'm guessing Rich Gannon and uh, Kevin Harlan will be a little bit nicer. Um, but, yeah. I can't believe they let Bernie in now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, he's, he just seems so out of his mind at this point. Every time you hear him talk, <laughs> I, I can't believe that they actually put him in an announcer's booth, and if they do, that they don't expect him to say stuff like that. Yeah, but that's one thing I realized watching these NFL network broadcasts that everybody's announcers are horrible. Yeah. Like, I yeah, watch... we hate Rich Gannon, but I'm sure he's better than, you know, a lot of the guys out there. Well, at least he has national TV experience and he's somewhat articulate. Yeah. Mark Brunel was doing the Jaguar one and he was, I mean, he sounded intelligent, but literally every other play, anytime a quarterback threw the ball, he was just sitting there like, well, what do you think about that, Mark? And he'd sit there and he's like, well, right now they're evaluating good decision-making. Uh, you got to go out there and make good decisions. Now, this was a bad decision. And, like, every single pass he would say, you got to make good decisions. Now, this was, and then he'd say whether it was a good or bad decision. <laughs> and that was, like, the whole game. <laughs> so, uh, that, I guess that's another part of preseason football where you just get to kind of hear people that... Uh, aren't ready for the big leagues, get to have their turn commentating. So That's all I have, Matt. How about you? Yeah, I got nothing else. Um, hopefully we can get some points on the board this week against the Rams and uh, look a little better than last week. Yeah, and you mentioned that kicking controversy oh, yeah. in passing, but maybe we should wait till next week when they actually get a chance to kick the ball? 
Sure, sounds good. And uh, yeah, I guess I just heard they had a kick a kickoff in practice today, and they both went eight for eight. So um, hopefully they both get some shots in the game this week and get a better idea. There you go. Well, yeah, hopefully they actually maybe they'll take some knees on third down, so we get some chance to get some field goals because that's probably more important. Than yeah, might as well letting Graham Harrell get sacked. But <laughs> all right, well, thanks for listening today, and check out the other podcasts that we're also posting. Uh, I don't know if I'll get it posted the same day that this is being heard, but I'll try to get it um, either tomorrow or the, or the next day. Check out Matt and I's picks. You can hear Matt talk about how he thinks the Chiefs are going 16-0 and 0, and how it. I'm uh, much more reasonable in my picks and, and probably much more <laughs> correct. So uh, until then, enjoy the week. Get pumped for the Rams game. Football is back, and so is Green and Gold forever. Uh, we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.